listening to the Save Crystal podcast on Anchor, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Save Crystal episode 61. Today, I'm going to be giving my review of the Shadow of the Tomb Raider video game. But before I do that, I kind of want to touch a little bit on the new Resident Evil movie that just came out. I did go see it with my wife on Black Friday, and I'm not going to go into full detail, but I do want to talk about some things that I like and that I didn't like. And I do want to say that there are probably going to be some spoilers because I'm terrible at that. Um, I just, I don't know. If you're a Resident Evil fan, you know the story. The spoilers that you're probably going to hear in here are just the different kind of pathways they took with the original blueprint. They they're basically followed the same story, but there were some slight differences. But if you don't want to hear that, you don't want to listen to this. If it doesn't bother you, let's get to it. So when this movie was first uh, introduced and we were seeing photos of the, the police station, the mansion, I was very excited. I thought to myself, man, they are finally going to be doing a Resident Evil movie the right way. Uh, then the trailer came out and I was a little like, I don't know what it was when I saw it. I was like, man, this looks like a B movie. I'm kind of disappointed, but I was like, you know, I won't know for sure until I actually go see it for myself. Well, I did. I went and I saw it, and I think that we all have to realize, fans of Resident Evil, we have to realize that Resident Evil will always be better as a video game and not a movie. I thought the casting, for the most part, was good. I know some people had an issue with the way that they had casted for Leon and Jill. Uh, Jill, she's okay. She's my favorite character in the series. So, of course, I'm a little biased there. You know, I, I want her to be, you know, I thought they'd done great with the Resident Evil 3 remake. The way that they had Jill look, the way she sounded, it was perfect. This girl was okay. And that just okay. The guy who played Leon, I thought he was pretty good. I do. I, I didn't have a problem with that. What I did have a problem with was the writing for Leon. They made Leon look like an absolute idiot. Um, just buried the guy completely. I don't know who's making this movie and, you know, looks at the games. I'm sure they, they looked at the games. I'm sure they did. How do you get the Leon that you all put in, into this movie by looking at the Leon in the video games. Leon in the video games was a awesome, he was a cool dude. Like he was bad, you know what I mean? And they did not portray him that way. They portrayed him as a clueless idiot. And I just a big problem there for me right there. Um I know that uh you know my wife for example, she knows of Resident Evil because of me. Uh and she does know a, a little bit. But there were things in this movie that she was confused by, that she kind of had to either look at me and was like, you know, ask me. And it was because, you know, they wrote this movie. Well, at least I thought they did. They made this movie for the fan base. And when, the, and when you make a movie for the fan base, I don't know why you want to touch things that you know is going to make the fan base unhappy. Um... We'll get into that. I don't want to jump too far ahead. But, you know, I do 
a part of me knows that they did write this for the fan base because they threw in little Easter eggs and little references to the games. Like, for example, we got the Jill sandwich line. And I'm not going to lie, it was kind of cringy because it felt like it was forced. Uh, we didn't need it. You didn't have to put that in there. I mean, you could have put it on a menu or something. That would have been a lot better. Um, but that line was in there. At another point in time, Jill is in the stars room talking to everybody. And she's asking, would you guys rather, which would be the worst way to die, would you rather be eaten by a giant snake or a great white shark? And that is an Easter egg to the first game. Those are two of the bosses that, that you run into. But little things like that. Like that one wasn't bad. The Jill Sandwich one for me, though, straight brutal. I don't know why. It kind of made me cringe. But what they did was they combined Resident Evil 1 and 2 into one movie. I believe the runtime was an hour 45 minutes or something like that. Um, I felt claustrophobic as a fan trying to take all this information and in. I can't imagine somebody who really doesn't know Resident Evil trying to take all this in. I'm not the first to say it, but I will agree with those who have. This would have been better as a series. Season one could have focused on Resident Evil 1. You know, the, the Arclay Mountains and the, the mansion incident could have focused there because in the video game, that took place in July of 98, where the events of Resident Evil 2 and 3 took place in September and October. They didn't do that here. It is all happening at the same exact time. Too much going on. Also, where the heck was Barry? Barry wasn't even in the movie. Barry, Barry's not mentioned nothing. Barry's a great character in Resident Evil. Where the heck was Barry? I don't know, but you know, they tried to give us this whole backstory with Claire and Chris. They were orphans. Their parents died in, in car accident. Um, I don't know. It just, it's like, why would you have the blueprint? The story is written for you. All you have to do is turn it into a movie. That's all you got to do. And somehow somebody messes it up. And as a resident evil fan, there were some things I liked. Let me just say the highlight for me was seeing the Raccoon City Police Department on, on you know in a movie, not video game graphics. It was really cool seeing that. I bet that would have been so cool to actually walk in and walk around. I would love to do that. And the mansion also. The mansion looked pretty good too. I, I liked the Raccoon City Police Department better. I thought it looked better, but for the most part, it all looked, it looked good. Um, the liquor makes an appearance, and... The liquor looked great. Great. Um, anyway, I just those were sadly the only things I, I liked about the movie. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to go too far into it because I think even though you're listening to this, I still think you should go for yourself if you are a Resident Evil fan and, and get your own opinion uh, because that's what I wanted to do. And I have it now. Um, but there was something else that they done. That I, I wasn't, I just, it kind of makes me shrug my shoulders. I'm like, wait, what? What are you doing? We all know that Wesker uh, was behind it, okay? He stabbed stars in the back. He was working with Umbrella. We know that. But in the movie, they make him almost like he's working alongside them, but he realizes that he made a mistake. 
So it's almost like Wesker is a good guy that has a little bit of bad in him. That's still a good guy by the end of the movie because he's apologizing. It's like that was not Wesker. Wesker could give two craps about his team members on stars. I don't know. I don't understand that. Now, this is a major, major spoiler right here. And it's an end credit scene. So if you wanted to hear this, but you don't want to hear the end credit scene, I'm going to give you a chance right now to turn it off or at least skip for the next minute. Here we go. At the end of the credits, uh, or actually mid credits, we see Wesker and he is talking with Ada. Ada makes an appearance and it's setting up for a possible sequel. And I'm like, I just, I don't, after watching that, I don't want a sequel. I don't. It's just, I don't, I don't know where she saved Wesker. And now, you know, cause he didn't have his look in the movie with the sunglasses and all that. Um, now the way she mentions that he, or he mentions he can't see. And she gives him a pair of black sunglasses and tells him that was a way that they had to save him. He had to lose his vision, but now he puts these black sunglasses on. He can see. I don't know. It's just weird stuff. If you're if you're writing or you're making this movie for the fan base, don't don't touch anything. Like I understand if you want to make some slight differences, but the storyline cramming one and two together, it felt sloppy. And I I just unfortunately I, I wasn't for it. And um, but that's where I'm gonna leave it right there. Uh, just another, you know, if I had to rate it out of 10, I would definitely say probably a two out of 10 and maybe a three, maybe a three on a good day. But yeah, this is not a movie that when it comes to DVD that I want to own. It's not, it, it let me down. And like I said earlier, I think we as Resident Evil fans have to realize that it will only ever be good as a video game and not a movie. Now, with that being said, let me get into my Shadow of the Tomb Raider review. Congratulations, 25 years of Tomb Raider and Lara Croft. It's just incredible. I travelled all over the world and met thousands of fans promoting Tomb Raider 3. I remember people of all ages, male and female. I hadn't realised just how big the game was until I saw the crowds queuing around the block. It was just like being a pop star. Lara Croft is such a powerful character. She's a protagonist, a powerful female. So to represent Lara Croft and help promote the Tomb Raider 3 game was a real privilege. And looking back, it, it was just an amazing experience to be able to meet the true fans of the game, the people who were inspired by and admired Lara Croft. Without them, the character and the game wouldn't be as successful as it is today. So thank you so much for all your support over the years. Let me first start off by saying I think every game in this trilogy was very good. Many have referred to these games as a reboot to the Tomb Raider franchise, and I have too, but I believe we have proof that they are really prequels to the original games that came out in the mid to late 90s and into the early 2000s. I'm going to be jumping to certain parts of the game, so if it kind of seems like I'm everywhere, well I am. Let me also clear something up before I begin. It's Lara Croft, not Lara. Even though it's pronounced both ways in this game, some fanboys get angry when you say Lara. 
But that's the way it's supposed to be. Just go back to the first game when Natla says it in the cutscene that started it all. Feast your eyes on this, Lara. Case closed. So Shadow of the Tomb Raider opens with a very intense cutscene. Jonah and Lara are both in some danger as the plane they are flying in is heading towards the ground. Jonah mentions there are no parachutes, which I can't figure out. And Lara is screaming, get ready to jump. Jonah thinks she's absolutely nuts, but I like it. I've been critical about this version of Lara, saying she doesn't seem as cool and doesn't seem like that bad chick we all grew up with. But I've noticed throughout these three games, she's slowly getting there. I mean, it makes sense. As she gets into these situations, she's going to mature and get used to this stuff. Anyway, you get separated from Jonah, and she buckles herself in and prepares for what would be... I don't know, maybe death. After the screen goes black, it takes you back two days before the incident we just saw. At one point, I thought it was a cutscene, but it was waiting for me to play. That's how good this game looks. All three of these games have kept the original tradition. It feels like you're along on the adventure with Laura. Once you get back to present day, Laura has survived the plane crash and is looking for Jonah and Miguel. She finds Miguel, but only half of him. She soon discovers he was being feasted on by a jaguar who is now staring into her eyes. This eventually leads to a battle and it's fantastic. Oh, and by the way, Jonah isn't dead. Miguel was the unlucky one. There are a lot of memorable moments in this game. Like when a tsunami wipes out a whole village because Laura took a key. They went as far as to have a kid fall in the water and die. Well, I can't exactly say he died, but one would assume. They even have a horror aspect. At one point you find yourself being stalked by these loud screaming creatures and eventually being chased by them. I love this part. And I gotta say, personally, I'm not a big fan of a lot of swearing in games, or even movies. But I did bust out laughing when Laura was looking for Rourke, one of the antagonists in the game, because she was dropping F-bombs while hunting for him. And I mean, I find it odd for Laura to say that, but I actually liked it because it showed her frustrations and anger. My absolute favorite cutscene is when Laura thinks they have killed Jonah. She is irate and emerges from the water and straight murders a dude by stabbing him. And I used the PS1 version of Laura, so this was 20 times more terrifying. As you've seen, I used the Tomb Raider 2 version, and they let you select quite a few older versions of Laura, but it's limited due to certain clothing she has to wear to advance the game. Which sucks to an old fan like me, but what makes an old fan like me happy is the ending. The original ending was patched out for something different and nobody knows why. I prefer the pre-patched ending because it makes you realize these games weren't a reboot at all. They were prequels leading up to the 1996 Tomb Raider game. Winston the butler is scooting his way into Laura's room carrying his tray just like he used to in the original games. And what really makes things interesting is the camera is focused on an envelope that is unopened by guess who? Natla, the antagonist from the original game. The cutscene ends with Lara opening it, which would make one think this is where the original game begins. Also, you can see the dual pistols sitting on a table beside Lara. For a longtime fan, this is an incredible ending. Why would they patch this out? 
I mean, yeah, technically Lara was introduced to Natla through a laptop, but maybe this is what started it. I don't know. In my opinion, this was the better ending, and what imbeciles they are to remove it. This isn't the only thing that gives us the idea that these games came before the classic ones. Because in Rise of the Tomb Raider, during the Blood Ties DLC, you find a Jade Dragon, and Laura mentions her dad found it in China, and perhaps she should look into it one day, which is referring to Tomb Raider 2 happening later in the timeline. Overall, I enjoyed these prequels slash reboots, whatever you prefer to call them, but regardless, they're great games. Twenty-five years of Tomb Raider, its uh, that's incredible. I mean, the, the original Tomb Raider, I have so much nostalgia for. Actually, all of the PlayStation 1 Tomb Raiders, and I've been a fan for so long. One of my all-time favorite uh, franchises in gaming, and it's its a 25th year anniversary, and I kind of feel like they've dropped the ball this year. I mean, what did we get? We really didn't get a whole lot. We got, uh, there's a Fortnite uh, skin that you can use of Lara Croft. It's just kind of lame, you know? We... We as the fans, you can go on social media, you see it everywhere. We would like a collection of the original games. You know, make them available on the Switch, make them available on the PlayStation 5, Xbox, whatever. Uh, just maybe smooth them out, put a little bit of extra stuff in it. We'd eat that up. We would. Uh, and it's really what people want. Bring, Give us the original games back, even though we own them already. We'll buy them again in a collection. But that would be just so cool uh, to celebrate 25 years of Tomb Raider. Uh, like I said, one of my all-time favorite franchises. But that's going to do it for me here on Save Crystal. Thank you all so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.